Bibles. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 4 and 6. 2 Timothy 4 and 6. Scripture reads, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This morning I'd like to talk about the making of a champion. The making of a champion. When you consider the life of an athlete, one must acknowledge the fact that they have spent most of their lives in repetitious practice and training games and scrimmages all to prepare for a single event which will be, make them crown a champion. They have sacrificed their personal lives. They have forsaken friends and families because they realize that in order to be a champion, you must have self-discipline and focus. But it's hard to get young people to focus nowadays with shows like Love and Hip Hop, R&B Diva, Basketball Wives, Sisterhood of Hip Hop, 16 and Pregnant, our children are, are being taught that reality isn't really real. Because the fact of the matter is, is that our young people would much rather keep up with the Kardashians than keep up with their schoolwork. Because society has taught them that the way to the top is to lay down on your bottom. One must understand that Satan is busy. He has declared war on our youth. Bullying, depression, drugs, gangs, suicide, low self-esteem, abuse, Peer pressure, fear, social media, and music are just some of the weapons that Satan is using to rob our youth of their purpose and will. And while Satan's attacks are increasing, the church is steadily becoming irrelevant. In fact, the church has become one of the most non-user-friendly environments for our youth. The church is losing touch and has become a place that your children can no longer relate to. You see, our young girls can relate to Rihanna, but they can't relate to Ruth. Our young men can relate to Drake, but they can't relate to David. Our kids can do the nay-nay, but they can't read Nahum. They can do the shmoney dash, but they can't quote a scripture. And this is why our children are leaving the church and joining other pseudo-religious movements because they're looking for answers. And instead of getting answers, we're condemning them and chasing them off. But the church cannot afford to be silent. We must speak to the social ills affecting our youth. Because there's a real spiritual war going on. The enemy is not playing. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And the problem with us is that the church used to engage in spiritual warfare. We used to tarry at the altar and believe that the anointing would destroy yokes. But many people don't really feel that yokes are real. But did you know that one of the fastest growing spiritual movements in the entire world is the church of Wicca? A church that has been designated to satanic worship. Cathedrals are being built all over America for satanic worship. And there's even a church called the Church of Beyonce, where even young people who have a desire to worship something, but because they don't have a clear idea of who God really is, someone is sacrificing their lives at the altar of Beyonce while we're talking about getting money and having prosperity. 
Don't get me wrong, prosperity, favor, and increase are our realities, but at the same time, we have not done a good job like we used to in teaching our young people that Satan is real. Several weeks ago, a young singer who had her whole life ahead of her had just recorded a hit record, and it seemed as though her career was finally taking off, but somehow, some way, the devil convinced her to give up and take her own life. Suicide and depression are growing epidemics killing thousands of young people each year. And I want you to know that no matter how bad things may get, no matter how low you may have sunken, God brought me here to tell you, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel because you are a champion in the making. And becoming a champion is a process and certainly God believes in us. For the Lord Jesus Christ has been at work in our lives even before we were born. Jesus had enough confidence enough, enough faith in us that before we were born, he was already working for our benefit. For the Lord in Jeremiah 1 and 5 said that before you were born and formed in the womb, I sanctified you, I ordained you. In fact, Ephesians 1 and 4 confirms that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And it amazes me that we have that, that God has faith in us. And it's good that we have faith in God because it neutralizes the fact that God has faith in us. God believed in you enough to breathe his very essence into your nostril. God believed enough in you to shape you in his holy image. God believed enough in you to assign you to an eternal destiny. And he demonstrated this belief when, even within the last 24 hours. That when you laid down last night, he believed in you enough to protect you through the night. He believed in you enough to not only wake you this morning, but to give you brand new mercies, new compassions, and loving kindness. I'm glad that God believes in me. Aren't you glad that God believes in you? It amazes me why God believes in us, but we struggle to believe in him. He knows that we are fallible creatures. He knows that we are frail, weak, and sickly. He knows that we are troubled with worries, doubts, and fears, and insecurities, but God still believes in us. He knows that we make mistakes. He knows that we stumble and fall, but he still believes in us. He knows that sometimes we question him and that sometimes we turn away from him, but even when we backslide and fall away from grace, he's right there to say that I still believe in you. God is a God of grace, and if God can believe in us, then why can't we believe in ourselves? Here in our text, Paul writes a letter to a young preacher by the name of Timothy. Timothy is one of his protégés in the gospel, and after finding the church at Ephesus, Paul leaves Timothy to pastor this church. And we know from the book of Acts that the church at Ephesus was the mother church of Asia Minor. It was a very important church. But notice that Paul leaves this church into the hands of a young adult. He doesn't leave this church into the, into the hands of one of the other elders because Paul realizes the importance of apostolic succession. He knows that if the gospel is to be reached, then the gospel must be placed into the hands of those who are not hamstrung by legalism and tradition. To those who are not stuck on how we used to do it, but think outside of the box and are savvy enough to adjust to the needs of future generations. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy at a time when Timothy is on the verge of giving up. He's ready to walk away from the ministry because a number of problems have arisen in the church. False doctrine and troublemakers have crept into the church. Disorderly worship has crept into the church. 
unqualified leaders, materialism and sin have crept into the church. And Timothy is discouraged because of his age. Because he was so young, people didn't respect him and they would not listen to him. And then on top of that, Timothy was timid. He was not a fighter and he avoided confrontation at all cost. So Paul opens this letter by telling Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind because church folk will drive you cray cray. Church folk will make you lose your mind. Church folk will make you feel some type of way. And in the process of trying to encourage Timothy, Paul also realizes that the end of his life is near. He will soon be beheaded by the faith and now he looks to Timothy to carry on the torch of evangelism. And looking back on his life, Paul realizes that he lived a triumphant life. And now he wishes Timothy to live the same. And as he views his life from start to finish, from these three perspectives, he looks first at the present close of his life in verse six. He looks then at the past course of his life in verse seven. And finally, he looks at the future crown of his life in verse eight. And he says to Timothy that I am a champion. Timothy, if you plan on winning the race of life, you must embrace the characteristics of a champion. And because Paul was such a lover of athletics, he employs three athletic metaphors to convey to Timothy the key principles of triumphant living. So he looks back over his life in verse 8, and with his last words recorded in scripture, Paul says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. In other words, Paul tells Timothy, if you want to live the life of a champion, you first must have tenacity. You must fight a good fight. And so here he depicts a boxer in a boxing ring and Southern Californians are very familiar with boxing because the golden boy Oscar de la Hoya was a prize fighter. In fact, he has generated more money than any other boxer in the history of the sport. And the reason why he was so popular is not because he won every fight, because he retired with a record of 39 wins and six losses. The reason why Oscar de la Hoya was such a huge draw was because he knew that he was going to put on a good fight. You knew that he couldn't be knocked out because there's a difference between being knocked down and being knocked out. Because when you're knocked down, that means you got back up. But when you're knocked out, that means that you decided not to get up to continue the fight. And young people, you have to understand that life may deal you some blows. You may have some bumps and bruises along the way. You may make some mistakes every now and then and everything that you do is not going to be perfect, but you can always get back up. You have to refuse to be knocked out. I was watching the Floyd Mayweather fight the other night against my Donna. At the end of the fight, I noticed that Floyd had a busted lip. Side of his face was swollen. He was even bitten on his hand but he still walked away with the belt. And you have to understand that the devil's going to hit you with everything he's got. The devil is a dirty fighter and he doesn't play by the rules. But as long as God is on your side, you're going to come out of this thing victorious. For if God be for you, who can be against you? Yes, you may walk away with a few cuts and scratches. Yes, you may walk away with a few scars, but a scar is nothing but a healed wound. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't get it twisted. I am a champion. And despite what it looks like, 
It may look a little ugly. I may not be pretty to you, but I am a winner. You see, to live a triumphant life, you must understand and recognize that you are in a struggle. Notice Paul says, I fought a good fight. And the words fought, agonismai, and the word fight, agon, which is where we get the word agony. These are terms that depict excessive effort and energy expended in some kind of struggle or contest. It could be a boxing match. It could be a wrestling match. It could be a race. They're used in all of these ways in scripture, but the underlying idea is that the struggle requires effort. Paul realizes this struggle. He realizes that he was in a contest with his flesh and that victory would be gained only by maximum effort. And we must realize that we battle against our flesh, our sins, our ignorance and misplaced priorities. And we battle against those things which urge us to do those things which aren't best for us. And it's only when we compete successfully against that with the sense that you are in combat and must win that you're going to come out to a triumphant end. Paul said, I'm not like a boxer beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Young people, you have to understand that your body is the temple of God. So protect God's temple. No drinking, no drugs, no sexual activity outside of marriage because your body is God's temple. We even tattoo our bodies, but God in Leviticus 19 and 28 told the children of Israel that you shall not cut your bodies for the dead or print any marks upon it for I am the Lord. Because a tattoo is a mark of ownership. That's why farmers brand their cattle. And you don't need to be putting somebody else's name on you because you don't belong to DeAndre. You belong to God. And some of you have tattoos with writing on it that you don't even understand. You better be careful. Because you're not just fighting against the flesh. But the devil is trying to destroy you. The devil is trying to frustrate your will. But you have to tell the devil that this is a no-flex zone. And that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. See, the devil is hitting you with his best shots. He's tempting you with all that he's got, but you're still standing. He can't knock you out because if he could knock you out, you would have been dead a long time ago. And the devil may have you boxed in a corner. He may have you up against the ropes, but it's time for you to come out fighting for your life. Because the Bible says that if you resist the devil, then he will flee from you. Genesis 3, God told Satan that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and you shall bruise his heel but he shall crush your head and you can't crush anything under your heel unless it's under your feet. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor he's under my feet. <laughs> Satan is under my feet. And every time I shout, every time I give God glory and praise, I'm crushing the devil's head because he's under my feet. So to live a triumphant life, we must first be tenacious. Paul also lets us know that we must persevere. He illustrates this by depicting a runner in a race. And in 2 Timothy 2 and 5, Paul says that an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And for us, the rules are those set forth in the word of God. You see, out of the millions of male sperms, God chose you. 
He gave you a moment in time to be born into the kingdom and that's when the race began. God also has ordained a time and a moment when you'll leave the earth and enter into his presence. That's how much time you have to run the race. And if you intend to finish the race that he has defined for you, you've got to stay on course because all the time that you spend off the course is lost in the race. And your race may end before the finish comes, in which case you will not fulfill your God-given purpose. And so the point being is that if you're going to finish the course, you must recognize the need to have the self-discipline to stay on track. Paul says, I have finished my course. In other words, stay in your lane. Because your anointing is not my anointing and my anointing is not your anointing. So don't spend and waste your time comparing yourself to somebody else. Because what God has for you is for you. And what God has for me is for me. So stay on course. Don't lose track of the race that God has set before you. And Satan is trying to distract you. He's trying to knock you off course. He wants you to turn it up. He wants you to pop mollies. He wants you to drink lean. He wants you to smoke that loud. He wants you to live a reckless life because he knows that if you complete your course, you will stay in your lane, then you will have the victory. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, God says, I know the plans that I have towards you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope which is your expected end. In other words, God expects you to prosper. God expects you to win. So the devil tries to attack your mind. He tries to convince you that God has given up on you. But Romans 11 and 29, Paul says that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, God never changes his mind about you no matter what you do. Because we serve a God who declares he already sees the end before the beginning. From ancient times, the things that are not yet come. So if God called you to the race, he's already considered your past, present, and future. He already knew that you were going to mess up. He already knew that you were going to make mistakes. So there's nothing that the devil can do to disqualify you from the race if God called you into the race. The only way that the devil can disqualify you from the race is if you quit, is if you choose not to fulfill the will of God. Don't disqualify yourself because a winner never quits and a quitter never wins. For the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. Romans 8 and 29 tells us that those who he foreknew, he also predestined. Those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. And if God saw you before you were born, yet he still chose you to run the race, you have to understand that you were already a winner before you got in the race. But the hardest thing about the race is that you don't know the course until it's revealed to you through the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes your course never looks like your promise. God told Joseph and gave him a dream that his family would submit to his leadership. But he did not know what he would have to go through to get there. He didn't know that he would be slowed into slavery. He didn't know that he would be lied on. He didn't know that he would be forgotten about before he reached his destiny. But Joseph remained faithful to God even though he didn't know where he was going. And through his trials, even in prison, the Bible said that God 
favored Job. And at the end of it all, Joseph wasn't bitter, he was better. Because he was able to look back at the situation and tell the brothers that sold him into slavery that what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And you have to realize that some folks aren't going to like you. Some folks will try to destroy you, not because they can help it, not because you've done anything wrong to them, but because God even uses your enemies to push you towards your destiny. Is there anybody here who has a few enemies? Is there anybody here who has a few haters? Well, everybody's got them, and if you don't have any, then maybe you and Satan are closer than you think. In fact, we need a few haters around because the Bible said that God prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. So Paul recognizes the need to stay on course. He says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 26, I run straight towards the goal with purpose in every step. Because there are some things that can cause you to drift off course. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the two things that can slow you down in the race and divert you off course are weights and sin. And a weight is simply unnecessary baggage. Weights are outside influence. They represent the runner's clothing. And there are some things that aren't necessarily immoral, aren't necessarily unrighteous, aren't necessarily sin but they are unnecessary it could be some friendships or relationships and there's a growing trend among women to be bisexual and have gay male bffs but the devil is a liar we rebuke the spirit of lesbianism and homosexuality and i don't care what anybody says god made a woman for a man You may have been abused. You may have been mistreated, but trust God, hang in there because your Boaz is on the way. And these weights can be some of the habits and hobbies that you have to stop because they're weighing you down and preventing you from fulfilling your purpose. They may have drawn you into the race, but now that you're in the race, it's time to let some things go. And then there is the sin which does so easily beset us. That's internal. The sin deals with the with those impediments on the inside, our makeup, our proclivities, because the sin refers to the runner's body fat. And what you have to understand is that it is unnatural for the body to shed its fat. That's why it's extremely difficult to lose it, because the body naturally wants to accumulate fat to protect the body against the cold. And we understand that because you know that cursing spirit. We try to hold on to it to protect ourselves against cold-hearted people. But these eternal sins, these sins of the mind and the sins of the flesh are more difficult to lay aside than the external forces. People get caught off course and sometimes never run again because of moral evil. So the two things that can prevent you from reaching the finish line in God's appointed time are weights that divert you into sin and sin itself. And when Paul says let us lay aside every weight, he doesn't mean lay it next to you. He means to throw our sins as far away from us as we possibly can. Because he knows that if we lay it down next to us, it will be too easy to bend down and pick it back up again. And this is critical because we're raising a generation of quitters. Society has taught us that finishing is not important. 
Husbands and wives are walking away from their marriages. Fathers are abandoning their children. Young black men have enough energy to make a baby, but we're not responsible enough to raise them. And celebrities are ending their lives by violence, drugs, and suicide. But we must teach our children to be finishers. This is why I don't like to involve my son in too many things that he can't handle. Because I would rather him participate in one thing and learn how to complete it than to have him participate in four things and never finish anything. So if we want to live a triumphant life, we first must be tenacious. We must fight the good fight. Second, we must persevere. We must finish our course. But thirdly, we have to have determination. We must keep the faith. Paul illustrates this by depicting the image of a bodybuilder. And bodybuilders grow muscle by lifting weights. And muscles grow by muscle tension by putting more weight on the bar barrel than the muscles are accustomed to. But the bodybuilder doesn't grow in the weight room. The bodybuilder grows, he merely, in the weight room, he merely rips and tears muscle so he can make room for more muscle. It's only when you go home to eat and consume protein and rest that your bodies begin to regenerate and grow. And it may seem as though your life is being torn apart. It may seem that your will is failing, but after all of this, what God is doing is he's only making room for a miracle. Because it's not until you rest in God and you feed yourself the word of God that you're able to grow. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we must desire the sincere milk of the word of God that we may be able to grow thereby. Because when you're going through the struggle, you don't see the growth. It's not until you look back and see where God has brought you from that you're able to appreciate the struggle. Song says that when I look back over my life and I begin to think things over, I can truly say that I've been blessed. I have a testimony. And I remember seeing someone at the gym one time struggling with a weight that they could not handle. But God is faithful and just that he will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with every temptation. God makes a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So we glory in our tribulation knowing that tribulation produces patience and patience experience and experience hope. And the hope puts us not to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. In other words, don't be ashamed of your past because your trials and your mistakes were meant to make you not break you. Because you only test something that you believe will pass the test. God will test his children so he can show us how strong he designed us to be. So don't give in to peer pressure and no matter how hard life may get, you may have the weight of the world on your shoulders but hold on to God. And we as parents need to keep it real with our children. Stop acting like you've never made mistakes. Be real with your past and let them know that yes, I failed in the past. Yes, I was not holier than now. Yes, I've made mistakes, but God can turn your failures into a success. This is why it bothers me when older saints demean younger saints because they have not matured like you have matured. And you feel that they are not on your spiritual level. But can I tell you something? I discovered that old rats like some cheese too every now and then. But can somebody testify and say that I have to be laid down on my face every day? Because if I don't, I'm not so arrogant to believe that if Satan can tempt Jesus, then he can surely tempt me. 
For if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I would be. Paul says, I have kept the faith. He depicts a fearless soldier because the verb kept means to guard or protect. Paul says, in all my running, all my struggle, all my conflict, I have never lost my faith. The other night I was watching SpongeBob SquarePants with my son. <clears throat> There's a character named Plankton. Plankton is a copepod who owns a cheap fast food restaurant called the Chum Bucket. Now the Chum Bucket sits across the street from the Krusty Krab. And Plankton, Plankton spends most of his time trying to steal Mr. Krab's secret recipe for his popular Krabby Patties. Because he wants to put the crab, the crusty crab out of business. And Jesus said in John 10 and 10 that the thief cometh. He doesn't just hit you one time, but he comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Satan spends all of his time trying to steal our secret formula called faith. And faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, we have faith not because we hope it will happen. We have faith expecting that it will happen. <clears throat> because faith is not a whimsical desire that sometimes one thing may happen in an uncertain tomorrow. True faith rests in the promises of God that though we can't see them, were predestined before the very foundation of the world. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And young people, you have to hold on to your faith. Hold on to your identity. Young ladies, guard your purity and your virtue. You don't have to post ratchet photos on Instagram and Snapchat to impress boys and attract friends. You don't have to twerk in videos just to be accepted. So the next time they tell you to do it for the vine, just tell them, I ain't gonna do it. Trying to be all on Facebook, but you can't put your face up in this book. You better stop listening to Nikki, because you don't need an anaconda, you need a brother with an anointing and a job. Because it's only the anointing that destroys yokes. Never lose your identity. You need to understand that you must demand respect. Because if you don't require these boys to respect you, you'll never get it. And my young brothers, it won't hurt you to pull your pants up. We don't need to see your draws. Because you present yourself how it reflects and how you see yourself. And some of y'all think y'all players. But you better recognize that before you get played, these girls ain't loyal. Some of these girls are ruthless. They'll break your heart into pieces. You'll spend all your money on Gucci bags and Prada purses and things you can't afford. And then the next guy will pull up in his Mercedes next to your Pinto and she'll jump out of your car and get in his car. You better find yourself a good church girl with a degree and a career. Hide God's word in your heart, for it will be a lamp to thy feet and a light unto thy pathway. We introduced our message with a video clip from a movie called Chariots of Fire. 
And in that clip, a young runner falls during the race. And he could have just given up and laid down on the side of the track, but he decided to get up and run again. And with much determination and will, this young man overcame his setback and won the race because he had the heart of a champion. He gave everything he had to the race. And I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what your setback is, but get up and get back in the race. Because here in verse 6, Paul looks back at his life and he says, I'm already ready to be poured out as a drink offering. You see, Paul understood Numbers chapter 5 when God instructed the people of Israel that bringing offerings to God were done in three parts. First, there was the burnt offering, which was the animal sacrifice. Second, there was the meal offering, which was the mix of grain with oil. And then finally, there was a drink offering where wine was poured out. So when Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he's simply saying that this is my last act in spiritual sacrifice. I've already offered my life as a living sacrifice. I've already offered my energies, my time, my talents as a meal offering. And now I will literally pour out my blood in death as a drink offering. He says, this is my final act of sacrifice. I've given God everything I've got and I've do it for the prize. Because in verse 8 he says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day. You know, God won't let you do anything without rewarding you, for he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Hebrews 10 and 35 says, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you need to know endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And the promise here is a crown of righteousness. And the word crown here is the Greek word stephanos, which refers to a victor's crown. It's a laurel wreath that's given to the winner of a race, which was worn as a symbol of honor and favor. And the Greek language suggests here that Paul refers to the crown not as being given to him for his righteousness, but it's being given to him as righteousness itself. And what's interesting here is the word stephanos. Is the same word used to describe the crown of 72 thorns that was pressed into the skull of Jesus. And while we look at the crown here as a symbol of agony, the Jews looked at it as a symbol of mockery. It was actually a symbol of victory. And even at the end of his life, Jesus could look back and say that he was crowned a champion because Jesus defeated death and he got up with all power in his hands. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of his peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are victorious. So how are we victorious? Well, this brings me to our theme text. Revelations 12 and 11 said that they overcame him. That's Satan. By the blood of the lamb, that's Christ. And by the word of their testimony. That's the detours of life that couldn't destroy you. And in order to have a testimony, you have to survive a test. So if God has brought you through anything, you ought to tell somebody. The old saints used to sing a song that said, I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I, I, I couldn't keep it to myself. And this is why I love to wear Nike sweatsuits, because the word overcame is the Greek word nakao which is where we get the word Nike. 
And the word nakal means to triumph over or to defeat an enemy in a contest or a conflict. And this is why I love the Nike brand because it is prophetic. Because every time I wear a Nike t-shirt or a Nike sweatshirt, I'm telling the world that I am an overcomer and that I am at war with the devil and every time he raises up against me, he may hurt me. He may even bruise my heel. He may even hurt me a little bit, but I'm going to crush his head because I am an overcomer. In fact, I'm more than a conqueror. Do I have anybody here whose testimony is I've went through some hard times. I've been through the sun and the rain, but I'm still standing here because I am an overcomer. Well, I gotta get out of here, y'all. But it reminds me of a story of a mother who went shopping at a huge shopping mall. She had a little son with her and the mother wanted to shop for some things around the house, but the little boy wanted to shop and find some toys to play with. So they went in different directions. And when they were ready to leave, the mother couldn't find the son and the son couldn't find his mother. So then when the mall closed, the mother didn't know where her son was. So she went home hoping and praying that somebody would find her son and bring him back home. But late that night, a police officer walking along the street, he peeped inside of the mall. He saw the young boy lying on a box because he had fallen asleep. So the officer called the store owner and he came to open the store. And when the police officer went inside, he asked the little boy, are you lost? The little boy said, yes, sir. He said, do you know the address where you live? The little boy said, I do not. He said, do you know your phone number? The little boy said, I don't. He said, do you know the neighborhood where you live? The boy said, I really don't know. The police officer said, well, son, I'm just trying to help you out. Are there any landmarks? Something close to your house? Well, the young boy said, that down the street from the house, there's a church. And on the top of the church, there's a steeple. And on the top of the steeple, there's a cross. He said, police officer, if you can just lead me to the cross, then I think that I'll be able to find my way home. And I came here to tell somebody this morning that if you see a young boy or a young girl walking around, looking like they're lost. Can I ask you to do one thing for me? If we can just lead them to the cross, then I think that they'll find their way home. Oh Lord, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I receive my sight and now I am happy all the day. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross until my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it. I'll exchange it one day for a crown. Ain't God all right? Ain't God all right? I just came by here to talk to somebody who's on the verge of giving up. You may have lost your job. Your marriage is on the rocks. You're being bullied at school. You can't make friends. 
Your money is funny. Your friends are stabbing you in the back. You're tired of being alone. And it seems like everybody's getting married. You have a dead end job. You have a broke down car. You're so broke, you can't even pay attention. You got haters at work. You got trauma at home. You got trauma at school. And it seems like you can't catch a break. I know you're tired. I know you've had enough. But push through the pain. Because I came by here to let you know that God's about to give you a second win. For even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not faint. They shall run and not be weary. So be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Because the difference between a champion and others is not a lack of strength. It's not a lack of knowledge, but it's a lack of will. So let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Tell your neighbor, I am a champion. Look them in the face and tell them I am a winner. You haven't gone through everything that you've gone through to give up now because even at your lowest point, God was still with you. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff shall comfort me. And we know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord. Is there anybody here who's been through some things? Is there anybody here who's been through some struggles? But you know, and I came here to tell you that you are a champion. You are a winner. Don't give up. Don't give in. You can make it. Come on and give God some praise. Come on and give God some praise. Come on and give God some praise. Hallelujah. 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 In verse 8, Paul looks into the future and says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The Lord will allow, will award me on that day. But he says that this crown isn't just for him. But this crown is given to all those who love his appearing. That's the Greek word epinia. That's where you get epiphany from. And that word means presence. But you can't love God's presence if you don't know him. Do you know Christ? Have you given your life to him? Don't you realize that the 12 disciples were all young adults? So never think that you're too young to give your life to God. But those 12 young adults, they changed the world. And when you dedicate your life to God, he will give you the power not only to fulfill your dreams, but he will give you the ability 
to change the world. You need to know that you are somebody. You need to know that you are a champion. This morning, I believe that chains are going to be broken. That yokes are going to be destroyed. We've got the banners that are hanging up above us. And I believe that God is going to break down the spirit of abuse. It's going to break down the spirit of bullying. It's going to break down that spirit of depression. He's going to break down that spirit of low self-esteem. In the name of Jesus, these yokes are being destroyed. These yokes are being broken. These young people are being set free. Come on and praise God for the victory. This morning, the altar has transformed into the winner's circle. It's the winner's platform for every youth and young adult who will make up in their mind this morning that I'm not going to live below my potential anymore, but I'm going to be the champion that God called me to be on the schools. You may even have a job, but you can be an example. You may be in the choir stand. Don't be ashamed. For every youth, young adults, there may be even some adults who have lived below their potential. This is the winner's circle, and I want every champion to come and get in the winner's circle. You can sit down if you want to. I'm only calling for champions to get in the winner's circle. Are there any champions in the house? Are there any winners in the house? If you're a winner, you need to get down here in the winner's circle. Come on. Get down here on the altar. This prize is for you. Come down, come down, come down. God is going to do a miracle. He's going to do a work this morning. Come down believing. Don't look lethargic. Have you ever seen a gold medal winner look at their medal? And well, we've seen that. But God has given you a gold medal. And I've never seen a gold medalist smirk at the medal. God wants to do some great things in your life. He wants to transform your life. You ought to thank God right now for the victory. Thank God for the great things that he's going to do in your life. Come on, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. You are a winner. You are a winner. So act like a winner. Come on. Let's praise God for the victory. Let's praise God for the victory. Father God, we thank you for giving us this opportunity to run the race. Some of us may have neglected the race. We really didn't understand what we were in. But this morning, oh God, we realize that we are in a race to win. But we also understand that you have equipped us with all of the talents, the skills to win. You put it in the word of God.
You put it in our hearts. You put it in our minds. We may have been running without purpose, but now we thank you, Father, for giving us purpose, for giving us understanding. And we thank you, Father God, for the victory that we will receive, the victory that will shine through us, oh God, that we will be an inspiration to all those around us, our friends, our families, on the job, at work, at school, that you even turn our our school situation around. We'll start getting A's because of the anointing that will flow through us. That you will illuminate us and give us supernatural strength and knowledge to stand, not to bow down to temptation, not to bow down to peer pressure, not to be one of the followers, but to be a leader. And we thank you, Father God, for giving us the strength to run this race. And so there may be somebody who doesn't know you right now. We pray, oh God, that you will come into their hearts, come into their minds. I ask for all of you to repeat this after me. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong that I've been and the wrong that I've done. I want to be saved. I want to be a champion this morning. I want to run this race. And I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he arose from the dead. And I accept Jesus into my life. I accept my calling. I realize that I'm in the race. And I thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. I thank you, Lord, that my sins are forgiven. I thank you, Lord, for making me a champion. And I'll praise you for the rest of my days. Come on and give God some praise. Release your anointing right now. Release your anointing right now. Release your anointing right now. Flow, oh God. Heavenly Spirit, move in this place. Touch these young people, oh God. Send your angels camp round about them. Anoint them. Keep the hand of the enemy away from them. We bless them. We anoint them right now in the name of Jesus. Go everywhere they go. Walk everywhere they walk on the bus. Go everywhere they may go in the name of Jesus. We believe it right now and we praise you for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For those of you who need prayer and want prayer, we want to ask you to go and go with the prayer workers. They want to meet with you. We have our our pastor here, Bishop Blake. Um, If we just asked him just to stand at the end and shake hands with those who may come by. Come on, our pastor is here. 